Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Let's talk about Monopoly. The game? Yeah. Did you know that there has been over 250 million sets of Monopoly sold since its invention and the game's been played by over half a billion people um, and it is it, that makes it the most popular game in the world. I wonder how many of those people mm-hmm. have shoved those little pieces up their nose at some point. Yeah. And I'd like to know how many of them have swallowed them and had to poo them out later. Yeah, well... Let's do some more research and find that out. Now, the problem with Monopoly is that for centuries and even still today, the story of how Monopoly came to be was that an unemployed man who was down on his luck called Charles Darrow. Darrow? Darrow. Darrow? (laughs) Who was on the brink of destruction and despair. Came up, Despair. <laughs> came up with the game in his basement. He was not doing that in his basement. The, sto- <laughs> the story goes is that he sold his idea to Parker Brothers and he made millions and actually did make millions, millions of he dollars. He had quite the monopoly, didn't he? The trouble with that story is that like many others in history, it's not we're true. learning that it's not exactly true. And the real story, which has largely been lost and in some cases has been deliberately written out of history. Of course. You know what they say, history is written by the winners or the victors. Correct. Elizabeth J. McGee was McGee? born. Yeah, McGee. Darrow. Shut <laughs> McGee. Don't, can you not repeat everything I say? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Elizabeth J. McGee was born in (laughs) Illinois in 1866. Where's Illinois? Illinois, Cincinnati? South? Is that in the south? Illinois. Is Illinois a a state? It's a state, yeah. Right, okay. Um, Her father, James K. McGee, uh, was a newspaper publisher. He was an uh, abolitionist who accompanied Abraham Lincoln as he travelled around Illinois in the late 1850s debating politics with Stephen Douglas. So a little bit of a history lesson. Stephen Douglas? Is he related to Frederick Douglas? I don't know. We'll we'll find out. Abraham Lincoln was obviously... The guy who went around trying to, and he did abolish slavery. Yeah. And the Stephen Douglas guy was at the one of the advocates of saying that each territory should be allowed to determine whether to permit slavery within its own borders. So, moral of the story is uh, Elizabeth's dad was pretty cool because he went around with Abraham Lincoln debating <laughs> the. Abolitionist theory. <laughs> now, 
when Lizzie, which is what her friends called her, was about 16, she got a job working as a stenographer. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm fascinated by stenography. I used to be a stenographer. That was my first job. Really? Yeah, in a law firm. How how does it work? Oh, hang on. Is a stenographer um, someone who types the dictation of something? No, a stenographer is a person who makes a written verbatim record using a unique shortened yep. writing style called steno on a yep. steno machine. So in courts they have stenographers. Yeah, so I was I've never you, been a stenographer. Okay. Have you ever seen <laughs> God I'd like to be Thanks for, for clarifying. Cla- that. Clarifying, clarifying it. it. Um but have you seen those stenographers like and you know what I'd love to they use a special theory based on syllables mm. rather than letter by letter mm-hmm. to type it. Like it's just... It's the same as shorthand. How does it work? How does it work? Oh, it's about sounds. I know. It's just... I mean... So I don't know how it works. It's amazing, isn't it's it? It's about sounds. But it's the same as shorthand. Amazing. I started to learn shorthand when right. I was younger because I used to be a transcriber. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So at the age of 26... She actually invented, she was a little inventor herself. And we she, love an inventor. She invented a, a typewriting process which allowed the paper to go through the rollers more easily. So she's typing away and she's like, hang on a minute, I'm going to, we need to do something here. She was also known to her friends as an outspoken activist for the feminist movement and for Georgism. Georgism? Yes, and I'm going to tell you what that is. Georgism, uh, which reflected her father's political beliefs, mm-hmm. um, and she really kind of her dad gave her a book on it, and mm-hmm. she got really into it. And Georgism refers to the economic perspective that instead of taxing income or other sources, yeah, the government should create a universal land tax based on the usefulness, size, and location of the land. Then, after funding the government, the leftover money should be distributed to the people. So um, many progressive political leaders at the time supported this economic perspective mm-hmm. as it motivated people to cultivate land and it redistributed wealth mm. to the people of a low socioeconomic standing. So it's like public housing afterwards. So it eradicated the idea of landowners and landlords of them holding the power and all the monetary value and it let people own, um, all the people own all of the value from what the land was giving. Mm-hmm. She also believed that women were equally as capable as men in inventing, in business and in other areas as well. And True. unlike most women of her era, she supported herself and she didn't get married until she was 44. Wow. She saved up on her own and she bought her own home near Washington and she also had several acres. Um, She was against marriage and so much so that she staged a stunt where she was actually mocking marriage. Oh, no. um, And as the only option for women. Um, And it made national headlines. Wow. She purchased an ad in a paper. Mm Mm-hmm. Offering herself for sale as a young woman American slave mm. to the highest bidder. Her ad said that she was not beautiful but very attractive and that she had features full of character and strength yet truly feminine. The ad quickly became the subject of news stories and gossip around the country. The goal of the stunt, uh, Lizzie told reporters, that she wanted to make a statement about the dismal position of women. 
quoting, we are not machines, girls have minds, desires, hopes and ambitions. Mm. The ad was meant to show the position of women and black people in the country, emphasising the fact that the only people that were truly free were white men. The Isn't ad, that amazing that's still true today? Yeah, totally. The ad um, became the talk of the town and it spread rapidly um, and she made herself a name as a bit of an outspoken and proud feminist. Mm. So she began teaching classes about her political views and beliefs in the evenings after work, but she wasn't reaching enough people and she was thinking she really wanted to get her views around Georgism and this kind of way that she thought the world should be, mm-hmm. which isn't that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Um, so she wanted to think of something more interactive and more creative. America at the turn of the century. By 1900, the American nation had established itself as a world power. The West had been won, and Native Americans were forced onto reservations and homesteading, and the introduction of barbed wire brings an end to the open range. By 1900, major oil fields were being tapped in Kansas, Illinois, Louisiana, Oklahoma, and Texas. John D. Rockefeller dominated the world's petroleum markets. In 1903, the Ford Motor Company was founded and the age of the automobile was underway, with Ford introducing the first moving assembly line in 1913 at the Ford factory in Highland Park. In 1906, Thomas Edison of Milan, Ohio, invents the nickel alkaline storage battery. He will go on to set up the Edison Storage Battery Company to develop and manufacture them. Wee-haw! No, yee-haw! Giddy So at the turn of the 20th century, board games were becoming really popular. They were commonplace for middle-class families. Um, Changing workplaces gave rise to more leisure time, electric lighting uh, was reinventing the daily schedule and games could now be played uh, more safely at home and for longer periods of time. So uh, board games became quite the pastime. Mm. So she set to work drawing and redrawing, thinking and rethinking up a game that would be based on the theories of Georgism. And this was all because of her dad giving her this book from Henry George, who was the founder of Georgism, and the book was called Progress and Poverty. As an anti-monopolist, her father drew from the theories of George, who was a charismatic politician and economist who believed that individuals should own 100% of what they made or created, but that everything found in nature, particularly land, should belong to everyone. So the general idea was that you tax the land and only land, shifting the tax burden to wealthy landlords. His message resonated with many Americans and um, a lot of people kind of jumped on board with the Georgism idea of thinking. So this led to Lizzie coming up with the idea of the board game called the Landlord's Game. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Now, it was a practical demonstration of the present system of land grabbing with all its usual outcomes and consequences, she said. It might well have been called the game of life as it contains all of the elements of success and failure in the real world. And the object is the same as the human race in general seems to have, i.e. the accumulation of wealth. Her game involved players being able to get rich at the expense at the expense of the tenant. So every time you land on someone's um, land that they owned, you had to pay up. Um, It meant that those players who kept doing that only grew poorer um, and the available land decreased. And as the cost of rent increased, um, as the uh, landlords got more hotels, more houses and built up upon the land. Anyone who landed on a railway had to pay. Anyone who wanted light and water had to pay. And anyone who crossed the wrong landowner had to go directly to jail. <gasps> yes, sissy. Oh, sis, we don't like that. Directly to jail. Go to jail. Pay $200 and go to jail. In Lizzie's game, the, in one corner was the poorhouse and the public park and across the board was the jail another corner contained an image of the globe which was a homage to henry george and it said labor upon mother earth produces wages and that would later become known as passing go so every time you went past this picture of the world you had reached the benefits and of you what get paid. the land yeah what the land had produced for you so um As the poor get poorer and the rich get richer, there's no respite and the game only ends when everyone is left poor and there's one person left who owns everything. Everything. So Lizzie actually created the game to show injustice of it all, not to celebrate it. Mm. She says, in a very short time, I hope that men and women and children will discover that um, they are poor because the Carnegies and the Rockefellers of the world have more than they know what to do with. The game that she designed was actually designed with two separate sets of rules, the monopolist rules Mm -hmm. and the anti-monopolist rules. So that when players became poorer and they couldn't afford to keep forking out money, they were able to switch the game into the anti-monopolist version, which mirrored Georgism. So if you were playing her version of the game and you got to the point where you're like, I am running out of money here, the players as a whole could agree that they're going to switch the game to the anti-monopolist version, which was called Prosperity, and they could all keep playing and everyone becomes rich, not just one person. Hmm. That's communism. She says... Isn't it? It's communism. Is it? Yeah. Which is not bad. Yeah. Not a, it just doesn't work. But it communism yeah. is is good. It's a good movement. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about economics. So okay, and so she's saying people will learn that the quickest way to accumulate wealth and gain power is to get all the land they can in the best localities and hold on to it. Let the children see. I believe the children are our future. You teach them well, and you yeah. let them lead, lead the, the way. Whitney was onto something. Show them all the beauty that they have inside. Yeah, and you let know, the children give them see a chance. Let the children see clearly their the gross, laughter, 
<laughs> the gross injustice of our present land system um, when they grow up and um, that how they can soon remedy the evil. Mm, yeah. So her game spread, becoming a favourite among left-wing inter- intellectuals, particularly in the northeast. It was played at several college campuses, including Harvard and Columbia University, and Quakers actually also loved the idea of the game and um, embraced the game, and they used to play their own versions, and they added their own neighbourhood properties to the board. People would draw the board on their tablecloths, on oh. fabric, including, and they would include their own land for context. Yep. Um, and they would make up their own um, rules as wow. well. Lizzie would never have imagined that it was the monopolist rules that would only capture the public's imagination. In 1906, she moved to Chicago that year, um, and she and fellow Georgists formed the Economic Game Company to self-publish her original edition of The Landlord's Game. She and her husband um, then patented patented, (laughs) a revised version of the game in 1924, and... um, this was seen as a way for her to um, reassert control over the game because a lot of people were playing it. She had patented it earlier and the, the, that patent ran out in 1921. Yep. So she redid it. Um, and then uh, in 1932, a second edition of her game was published and um, it included both versions, Monopoly and Anti-Monopoly. Hmm. In the genus the edition. 19th, the genus edition. Oh, mind blown. <laughs> Tell you what. Genius. All Annie didn't life. know All my life. that Trivial Pursuit genus edition was exactly that. She always thought it was the genius edition edition and I, and I refused to play it because i would go to people's houses and they'd and i'd be like nah you've only got the genius edition <laughs> it was it's harder hard. it was harder yeah but you know the kids edition was just as hard i know but i just i literally turned down so many games of trivial because <laughs> you thought it was you genius thought you were not a genius oh anyway yeah lizzie was offered get this 500 bucks for her game by Parker Brothers. Ugh. And she actually accepted it. Oh, okay. Well, that's a lot of money. She was hoping that her it meant her radical left-wing message would receive a broader audience. Mm. However, she would never make any royalties off what she described as her beloved brainchild. Oh, this is In 1935, awful. three decades after Lizzie had invented the landlord's game. Hang on. Darrow's coming back in, isn't he? Bloody Charles Darrow. Darrow. He took a modified... Who was he? Do we know anything about him? I'll tell you. Okay, come on. He took a modified version of Lizzie's game, Mm -hmm. which only focused on the land-grabbing, rich-get-richer version, Mm. and he sold it to Hasbro. Hasbro. Which later became a subsidiary of Parker Brothers. Beached Hasbro. Beached Hasbro. Oh, I see what you did there. This oh, fantastic. It's gone full circle. Oh, it's gone full circle, this podcast. Now, Charles claimed the idea as his own. He was unemployed, like we said earlier. He was living in down his mom's his basement. And he states still to this day that he invented it. Is he alive? He came up with it. No, 
came up with it in his basement. He said that the pieces were modelled. So, you know, the mm. hat and the thing mm. and the thing. The thumble. He used his daughter's charm. Thimble. Bra- he used his daughter's charm bracelet, mm-hmm. took all the pieces off and used them as the pieces. Okay, so is that board, true? Apparently. Okay, so that's all he did. That's pretty much all he did. Within a year of it. Wait, can we... Do we know what pieces there were? Just out of curiosity. There was a thimble which went on your thumb. There was a wheelbarrow. There was there was, was a top hat. There was a dog. Was there a dog? There was There was an iron. An iron. I don't know. Hey Siri. What are the Oh, thanks. So what are what are the pieces? I Oh, you've got the Irish guy. Could you tell us what the pieces on the Monopoly board contain? Okay, I found this on the web for what the pieces on the Monopoly board contain. Check it out. Oh, what did you tell me? Monopoly. Tokens. The tokens. Okay, go. All right, we'll see how many you got, Miss Fanny. Oh, they're right here. You want me to say them again? Yeah, go. Wheelbarrow. No, top hat. It's, it's, cart. More, it's a, cart. a cart. Yeah. Top hat. Yes. Boot. Yes. Dog. No, no dog. No dog. What? I don't know where you got a dog from. I thought that sounded a bit odd. <laughs> I don't know. Dog. Just dog Here's a dog. Iron. Iron. Yes. Um, what else? A thumb. Thimble. A finger. A finger. Thimble. <laughs> a finger. <laughs> I think it's called a thimble. A thimble. Or the thumble. A thimble. And there's one more. Oh. Um, Give me a clue. Goes in the water. Boat. Ship. Ship. Yep. That's it. Okay. So, yeah. Boring. <laughs> so, within a year of its release um, with Hasbro. Hasbro. <laughs> uh, 35,000 copies were being made a week. Wow. And more than one billion people had played the game. Darrow Darrow. became the first millionaire game designer in history. He didn't design it, though. He didn't design it. And he was credited as being the original inventor. Oh, my God. This is driving me insane. Yep. In January 1936... An interview with Lizzie appeared in a Washington, D.C. newspaper in which she was critical of Parker Brothers. Yeah. Lizzie spoke to the reporters about the similarities between Monopoly and her game. The landlord's game. The article published spoke to the fact that Lizzie spent more money making her game than she received in earnings, um, especially with the lack of credit she received after Monopoly was created. Lizzie McGee died at the age of 81 in 1948. Oh, my mum was born in that year. Oh. At her death, she was not credited for the impact that she had on the board game community and American culture. And there was no mention of the game uh, in her obituary. After her death, though, Lizzie did leave lasting effects, fighting for women's rights and abolition, yeah. whether it be through educating others about these concept, concepts, doing her talks, inventing board games, at the time when women held less than 1% of the patents in the world. Mm. And, um, yeah, she, and, and that she, was, um, she would always speak out against the oppression of women and black communities in the United States. Mm. The real 
origin of Monopoly was only uncovered 40 years later. Then she died? Then... um, So it's 98. Yeah. Yes. 88. (laughs) I can't do math. 88. When another guy also tried to steal her idea and went to Parker Brothers with the idea of the anti-Monopoly game. He went through a decade-long court battle between Hasbro or Parker Brothers and himself because he wanted to release this version of the game. It was through that trial that she became uncovered and everyone went, hang on a minute. Charles Darrow didn't really do this. Yeah. And there's an article that I read from the New York Times which so eloquently puts why we do this podcast. It's hard not to wonder how many other buried histories are still out there. Stories belonging to lost Lizzie McGee's who quietly chip away at creating pieces of the world, their contributions so seamless that few of us ever stop to think about the person or people behind the idea. Even more shocking is that Hasbro, the company of which Parker Brothers owns, which we said, still downplays... Lizzie's status and they responded to a request for comment in this article with a terse statement. Hasbro credits the official Monopoly game produced and played today to Charles Darrow. Oh, fuck off. And even at 2015 on the Hasbro website, the timeline of the game's history begins in 1935. Now, with all that... Oh, wasn't a slap in the face. Yeah. In 2019, Hasbro released a version of the game. <gasps> no. Known no. as Ms. Monopoly. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Now, it's supposed to celebrate women trailblazers and spotlights women who have challenged the status quo, according to Hasbro. Instead of buying up properties, players have the opportunity to purchase groundbreaking inventions and innovations made possible by women throughout history. The banker gives $1,900 in Monopoly money to female players and $1,500 to each male. Why? When players pass go, women again get the upper hand, receiving $240 to men's $200. Well, that's just the opposite. opposite. It's not what it's we want. It's not sexism. what we want. It's re- is it reverse sexism? Well, it is, but it it's just it's no, it's sexism. Some, it's not yeah, reverse verse. sexism. Yeah. It's just the same Se- sexism. Se- yeah. But but you've changed. It's not equality. It's gender over. We want. We don't want more <laughs> than you. We don't want. Yeah. To be bigger, we want to be the same. Yes. Yes. Because I tell you right now, if we wanted to be bigger, if we wanted more, oh, you'd be fucked up. We don't want more. Yeah. Just like the minorities, especially African-Americans, they don't want to take everything from you. Yes. Yes. They just want the same rights. Same as LGBTQ. Equal rights for everybody. Equal for everyone. Yes. Um, also, also on this game, I, this is gonna, oh, she's gonna fire her up even more. <laughs> I'm scared to say it. 
Also in this version of the game, investments in real estate from the original game have been replaced by investments in innovations made by women, such as bulletproof vests, Wi-Fi, chocolate chip cookies and ladies' modern shapewear. But guess who's missing from the list of innovators and inventors? Lizzie McGee. Oh, really? The end. So she wasn't even on the list. No. She's not on the list as an inventor of the game that people are playing that is her own game. Did you just say that the inventions for cookies is in there? Chocolate chip cookies. Oh, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off. Yeah. And that is the infuriatingly true story of how Monopoly came to be. We need to really plug this one. We will. Because you know what? It just goes to show how many of these books, history books, are wrong. Yep. Yep. How many are there? How many? How many many? are wrong? How many? Exactly. Exactly. Why can't we have – why is – why, why – is the patriarch so frightened of truth, yeah. the real truth? Yeah. Just say it. Just say who Just it was. say it and embrace it. Yeah. Support it. Yeah. Because we support you. Yeah. Support us. God, could you imagine what the world would be? Absolutely. If they didn't fight us on this. Exactly. Imagine if Charles called up Lizzie and said, fucking great idea, mate. Mate. Let's work together, together. on more games. Because I'm in a basement yeah. and I need shit. Can you ma- – because she'd go piss off. <laughs> she probably would. <laughs> no, she wouldn't though. But she'd probably say, you into Georgism? And he'd go, yeah. Yeah, well, she – I like both versions took, of this game. She accepted 500 bucks for the, for her invention and he became a millionaire with the – with the royalties. And people, the majority of the world still thinks Charles Darrow yeah. is the inventor of yeah. this game. Well, it's on the bloody Hasbro website. I want to blow that away. Lizzie McGee, Lizzie McGee, Lizzie McGee, Lizzie. I want – the only time I've ever wanted – I've never, <laughs> ever wanted to graffiti in my life. Oh, my but gosh. But I want to graffiti. <laughs> Lizzie McGee invented Monopoly. Everywhere. I just want to put it everywhere. Let's get Let's stickers, mate. Let's make little stickers so people just yes. go, what? Yes. Who cares? Well, go and have a look. Look exactly. that shit up. Yeah. Look at the history of that. Yeah. Yep. So there you go. Why don't we do stickers that go, Charles Darrow crossed out, Lizzie McGee invented Monopoly. Monopoly. Oh, my God. Yes. Why don't we do stickers that say, the patriarchy invented everything, cross out patriarchy and write women. Well, they didn't invent everything, did they? <laughs> Equal, equal for all. Yeah, equality. I'm sure they invented something. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that that reminds me a bit of the Hedy Lamarr Wi-Fi story. Yep. Well, it reminds me of a lot of the stories that we've told. So yeah, that's it. Stay tuned for an exciting announcement, possibly next week. Yeah, about we're not going to announce our, it today. Oh, because we're no. going to have a meeting today. We're going to chat about it a bit more, flesh out the idea. But we've just been coming up with ways that we want to let our people who love us, because we do have a little little group of, of amazing women and men who are mm. fans of the of the pod. Um, we want to involve you a bit more, and we've got some ideas. So mm. stay tuned. Stay tuned. Sorry for the whistle in your ears. And, um, and see you later. Oh, uh, 
Look at you, you've got to the end. So if you're still listening, we're just going to give you a few little credity bits. Executive producers of this podcast is me, Evie Jones, and of course, Annie Potatoes. But we've also got Sam Peterson. He's our producer, our editor, our wine boy, our whipping boy. He does everything. And he's also got a great podcast called Confessions of the Idiots. You know, if you want to listen to us, we appreciate you. Follow us on Instagram at chickstreet underscore podcast. And you can email us at mychickstreet at gmail.com.